I'm staying at the uh, 21C Museum Hotel. And I was explaining to somebody I woke up to pink penguins this morning. There was one in the hall. Does anybody know what it means? Someone had one right in front of their door so that when they opened the door, the penguin would be right there. They were all over the place. Um, maybe I'll figure it out by the time I leave. <clears throat> we continue our journey this morning. What I describe is this New South revolution. And scripture takes us, Acts the 10th chapter, the first century AD, and Christianity has been born in a very diverse world of Roman Greco culture having now come to the Middle East. And with it, Christianity finds itself in somewhat of an identity crisis. Will it be Jewish Christianity? And if so, which Jews would it cater to? The Hebraic Jews, whom would have been like the native Duramite? Is that what y'all call yourselves, Duramites? Is that right? Or would it cater to the newfangled kind of Jew, the Hellenistic ones, having left their hometowns in the diaspora, returning with their fancy Greek way of talking and living? And how would it handle the larger Gentile culture with its big city corporate, kind of liberal, sophisticated, intellectual ways come south to lowly Judea? Many came coming to exploit its low overhead and promise of urban development. Sound familiar? It is typical New South dynamics, much like we experience here in cities like Charlotte and Durham, where a new dialogue and discussion and search for identity has opened up due to a cultural mash and crash of race and ethnicity and class and history and heritage. In the middle of this eclectic Roman Greco-Judean mess, two men have a life-changing and challenging experience that sets up a visional and missional identity for Christianity in churches like yours and ours for all times. A revolution was taking place in Judea, a re revolution that we are called to take up and be a part of right here in our New South, a revolution of diverse and eclectic and eclectic community. In chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Cornelius a God-fearing Gentile, that means a Jew, non-Jew who believed in the God of Abraham, but ethnically and socially could never be a Jew, probably not circumcised and probably not living kosher, who is by description a high-ranking Roman official. He was part of the elite executive class that had infiltrated the Jewish South. To, to be a Roman like he was in Judea would have been like leaving the, I'm trying to think what's, 
real popular around here in the research triangle, like um, BASF headquarters, right? In Ludwig Schaffen, Germany, right? Like working there and coming to lead the research triangle branch right here. Big difference. And as a God-fearer, he would have respected the God of the Jews, but could have done without, as he probably did, all of their southern expressions of that faith. They were doing church culture a little different than what he was probably used to, or what he, a Roman, would be accepted in. The Bible tells us that an angel visits him about going and finding a man named Peter. And you would think the angel showing up was revolutionary enough, but the request was much more amazing than that. To go bring a Jew, a Hebraic Jew, to his house to tell and teach him something. The scripture says, and then across town in what I would describe as Jewopolis, Peter was doing his three in the afternoon prayer time. Such a devout man of God type, right? He was staying with a tanner there, friend. And the Bible says he got hungry and has this vision. A sheet lowered with some food on it. Did I mention that the food was still living on that sheet that was lowered before him? And for God to tell a Hebraic Jew, right, like Peter, to on that sheet that, of, that was lowered before him, it had pigs and shrimp and owls, and to tell him, hey, get up and cook and eat and have a big barbecue dinner, it was like putting him on an episode of that once popular show a few years ago, Fear Factor. Because according to God's law, this food and killing it to eat was unclean. It was nasty, man. It was uncouth even for $50,000 because unlike us, they would not be shamed for dollars. This was worse than not having a gluten-free meal for you gluten intolerant. This was God free to them. But anyway, God says something that sounded like, go ahead, I've changed things about the dietary cultural laws. Is Judaism under Christianity. No longer, Peter, call these things unclean. They won't make you evil or bad to be around or, or to handle, to cook, and to eat. And God uses the vision as a picture for, following, for the following public service announcement from heaven. The food and the people who eat this food, they are okay by me if they declare me their Lord. And he goes on to raise the ante. Because this was not just about a soul food revolution among Jewish Christians. No, this was something stranger. Eclectic, diverse community was on the way. So God lets Peter know that some Gentile guys are coming to pick you up. Don't be afraid, though they will show up looking like the white, clean-cut, sunglass-wearing guys in the Ford Crown Vic, working for the government, riding slowly through the hood, obviously legal trouble for somebody. 
They are not there to arrest you or rough you up. They are there to take you to see a high-ranking official by the name of Cornelius. Go ahead against your better judgment. Get in their back seat. No cuffs. You're doing what I've said. And so you can imagine they're showing up in Peter's part of the town and, or the Jewish part of town and folk peeking out their doors next door. If you live in a hood, and everyone gets real nosy. And I am sure as Peter invites them into where he is staying home, these two Gentile men who look like the human version of all that was unclean on that sheet, when they came in there, it's like the Fuji said, right? Warn the town. The beast is loose. This was dangerous in the community. He, uh, Peter could have been labeled a sellout. And, and back then, a sellout Jew could quickly become a stone Jew because the Romans let the ver- Jews practice their own version of justice as long as it didn't cost them any more tax money or help them cut out subversive mess. Just ask Jesus about that one or Stephen. They, they could have dragged poor sellout, lost his mind, must be in some sort of cult Peter into the street and stoned him but they would not dare mess with the government people around. But anyway, Peter goes back with them the next day to Cornelius' house, the scripture tells us. Can you imagine Peter looking out the carriage windows with his mouth wide open at the country club, Caesarea, Gentile part of town, He was definitely out of his element, right? But now it was time for Cornelius to risk social rejection. Like a fool, the Bible tells us. Doesn't tell us he was a fool, but tells us what he did that was somewhat foolish. He invites his friends and family over to meet Peter. Okay, y'all, for for Peter, this is like Fresh Prince coming to Bel Air. I'm telling my age. I I saw it when it came out, not in syndication, okay? (laughs) Will Smith was still a rapper back then. (laughs) This is like inviting that preacher, the vest-wearing, sweating process in his hair evangelist, to your she-she loft with fresh-cut sushi and vintage wines and cheese. Peter was probably wearing the equivalent of some tent-meeting Jewish suit and sport coat to a black-tie event. And I'm sure Cornelius' friends were thinking, how dare you bow, right? Because as soon as he comes in, Cornelius kneels down before Peter. Welcome, Peter, down to his knees. And I'm sure his friends are thinking, that's just this regular old Jewish guy. What are you doing? Cornelius' sons probably wouldn't be invited to the battalion. His girls won't be at the debutante ball this year. Man, forget that country club membership. This fool is hanging out, not not just hanging out, but he's bowing to a Jew, but not just any kind of Jew, a Hebraic Jew. And Peter is just as shocked as the guest, right? 
tells Cornelius, this is not kosher. <laughs> really? Not kosher, because God alone should get this worship. And he tells Cornelius, I am just a man. Get up off your feet. I am here to tell you something. But God, through you, Cornelius, is about to teach me, Peter, a leader of the church, a whole lot more. Because on that visit, Peter became convinced, as we'll see, that God has no ethnic or cultural favorites, and neither should we. God is the God of the nations, he'll learn. Man, I didn't know, but now I know Cornelius Peter's thinking. This is the gospel of Jesus. And, and Peter starts preaching on Park Avenue, what he was preaching on the street corners of the Jewish ghetto. Salvation through Jesus. And the Bible says that, that all of a sudden a Holy Ghost tent revival thing happened up in there. It was very awkward, just like it did on the Jews, right, who accepted Jesus, which meant Jesus, the church, was for the Jew and the Gentile. And the revolution, right, beginning right there, began to explode because Peter went back home to convince his cultural, uh, convince um, his boys that Christianity was now going to possibly be a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-economic religion and would be an eclectic faith. If the risk for believing in Jesus alone was for salvation was high, it just got more tight up in there because the New South Revolution just went extra on us, right? When Jesus said his love to and for all the world, he was serious. Churches like Christ Central are the result of that day 2,000 years ago. Jesus, your Lord, the God of the Bible was not kidding. Like for Peter and Cornelius and all the world that would benefit and witness their lives and their missions and their faith, God is calling you and me and this church to a New South Revolution right here in, in Durham, a revolution of eclectic community to be and bring eclectic community to be a reconciled and, and authentic, relating community and part of communities diverse in ethnicity and race and class and gender and histories and heritages. with Peter and Cornelius and eventually the whole church, God is calling for an eclectic community that is both uncomfortable and as we looked at a little bit, a little dangerous. Like what I explained earlier, Peter was risking being rejected and even stoned and, and ostracized as a sellout and a religious heretic for being with Cornelius by the Jews around him. And Cornelius was risking by bringing this Jew in the group and honoring him like he, was, like, like he did, he was risking some social standing and possibly even his job. And you can just imagine how uncomfortable it must have been for Cornelius' men to spend a night with Peter and then have Peter be among Cornelius' Roman, Greek, and probably rich friends and family. You're just waiting for someone to mess up and say the wrong thing. Let me say this. The eclectic community that you guys are seeking in the New South is dangerous to your sense of identity and your worth that you came in here with 
and your social status and possibly your friendships and familial relationships and even your moral standing in the eyes of other church people. And like Cornelius, depending on your situation, it can be an occupational hazard to be in community and have friendships that are, are as diverse as you're hoping they would be in this church. Not to mention how sheer, how just uncomfortable it can be. At the risk of coming off a little self-indulgent, I want to know, I want you to know, how dangerous a thing we started 12 years ago in the Noda Arts District of, of Charlotte. I remember how I felt when we first came, our first couple of years. I remember feeling, as the pastor of that church, it was risky being socially stoned by people of my own culture. I mean, for African Americans to come and be a part of a predominantly white church and denomination, of, there have been so many times I've been dismissed as a sellout or confused, not black enough, because I was pastoring a church that looked around, as I looked around, is a lot lighter than I am. Among some of my own African-American peers in this denomination, I've been called obsolete and not a viable example of an African-American-led church plant and church, all because I had a white associate pastor. These were people who were close to me, whom I want to prove that I'm identificationally, you know, black, I'm all right. You know, you kind of risk, you know that feeling. Even when African-Americans have to deal with, when, when they come to groups like this and you're the onesies or the twosies in the group, think how you feel when the other black person comes in. It's so scary. I remember uh, one of my best friends, Anthony Bradley, we went to Covenant Seminary together and roomed together at Covenant and he's now write, writing books and doing all that crazy stuff. We were in the RUF at Clemson together. And I would look across the room, right, at Anthony. He would look at me and be like, I'm not going to go talk to him. It's just that weird kind of the other black person in the room. And you're kind of afraid you're going to be exposed or confronted or that person going to come on over and say something to you that makes you feel like, what you doing here, man? What's wrong with you? I feel it's dangerous to raise my black boys who already struggle, may struggle with inferiority complexes in an environment like Christ Central is. These are the kind of risks you take that you don't think about until you're there. And as an African-American, I think about it. I remember went to vacation in Hilton Head and um, I grew up in the AME church in Charleston. I was licensed to preach there. I have uncles who preached in that denomination for over 50 years and so when we on, went on vacation, we went to an AME church one Sunday. And my boys are sitting there, and one of my boys says, Daddy, what's wrong with this church? I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with this church. This is a civil rights church. You, you don't know what this church means. This is about <laughs> your heritage, boy. Hush up. Ain't nothing wrong. 
He says, Dad, there's no white people here. I'm like, that's good. <laughs> supposed to be like that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And it's just weird. I'm looking at my boys. I'm thinking, what kind of environment am I raising them in? What kind of thoughts are they going to have? What kind of risk am I taking? The associate pastor at that time, George O'Hyatt, who's now in Winston-Salem at Redeemer Church, pastor there, he, um, we co-planted Christ Central. And um, his kids went on vacation, and they went to a church, and their kids asked the same question. Dad, what's wrong with this church? There's no black people here. What are we doing to our kids? I am concerned in a way, maybe some of you who are not um, in, in, in African-American, ethnic, uh, you know, or darker in some way in this country, how important it is you feel you have to hold on to your identity because it can so easily be assimilated or lost. To have your kids here is hard. I stone myself sometimes, right? You, you should know that almost every Sunday I get up and look at the large amount of white people we have, and I think, you old stupid Negro, what are you doing? You're risking being a spectacle, a show. Someone they can say to their friends and take a selfie with and say, see, I got black friends. He's different. He's funny. You got to see this guy. I despise that crap. Really do. And if I hear it, I tell people about it. I'm not afraid. Then I become the mean black man. That's fine. I'm typically pretty grumpy and mean among that kind of energy. And I will let you know. It's going to be uncomfortable in here if you treat me like a token, because that's not what I am. I'll let you know to your face right then on the spot, and that's difficult. And I love you in Jesus, okay? <laughs> it's not me alone, because while for a dominant culture, dominating culture, it might be cool to be all multi-ethnic for your African-American, and Hispanic, and Asian brothers and sisters, you are deemed fools to them. So to you, you also may be deemed fools, right? But for, 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 again, for African-Americans and Hispanic and Asian brothers and sisters, you're, you feel like a fool for being a part of a, a white man's denomination and giving your time and money to the oppressors, right? To join, think of what Peter is feeling. To join and be a part of the denomination just a few years ago had a church that had a father and son day where a few years back they set up firing ranges complete with the pictures of MLK, Hillary Clinton, and Abe Lincoln. What you doing, fool? That's what I ask myself. That's what some of your brothers and sisters are asking themselves. What you doing? I mean, understand that your darker brothers and sisters risk being, again, the one or two black friends that risk helping you shake off your racist guilt. Who are the ones and twosies who are hijacked and used so you can go around talking about how you have black friends and you understand black people and all that stuff. Eclectic community is risky. For my white brothers and sisters, it is dangerous here. Because you run the risk of messing up and being called out and labeled a racist. 
or being laden with the guilt of some past sin like slavery or Jim Crow. Sometimes being a part of the Anglo race means that you have to bear in eclectic community the weight of being guilty and feeling guilty and not trusted and easily blamed. I can make all my issues a white person's problem. And for some, I've seen at Christ Central in Charlotte at least, they, they run in, they've run into all sorts of social risk being here. Some of their parents think they're crazy. Not how comfortable it can be to invite your friends and family or to some of your stuff. I'm gonna be me. I promise you, there's a chance I'm going to embarrass you. Because I'm going to be me. Understand like me, Pastor Daniel has known the rejection of fellow pastors whom because he's tied to something like this thing, this desire to be eclectic, he will suffer because of it. Come on, some of my left-leaning brothers and sisters, politically. Some of you have learned, if you're Democrat or vote Democrat, many of you have learned in the cyber world of Facebook just how right-wing folk in our denomination can be, how Southern Presbyterian it can be, dangerous and uncomfortable and demeaning to your intellect and your sense of culture and thought. And some of you women, man, for you, for the sake of eclectic community, you're in a community with a Southern Christianity that has historically instilled some in the present, have overlooked and run roughshod over the, the rights and roles and calling of women who somehow have failed in all of our brainiacness to not put thought into how you can be loved and love the church well. For those of you who don't have good incomes and lack higher educations, and eclectic community is dangerous because your lack of money and intellect will be found out and you will feel it. Some of you older members and artists and white collar folk or suburbanites all feel dangerously at risk of being ostracized and looked down upon and forgotten by being an eclectic community. If you feel out ever, or afraid of being overlooked or taking advantage of, if you feel like this, is a, this church leans this way or leans that way, if you feel uncomfortable even in my discussion and fleshing all of this out, you might really be in the middle of eclectic community. Welcome. Welcome. But with danger and uncomfortableness, God has called us to an eclectic community that is challenging. When Peter comes to Cornelius, Cornelius, the Bible tells us, immediately gets it wrong and bowing to Peter who tells him, I am just a man, you don't do that to me. Please, you got this wrong. And then Peter says this in verse 25. If I can find it. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And it is the correction, I believe, to a couple of things. First, to the Roman way of worshiping spiritual leaders. It's common in their culture. And secondly, to how he must have seen himself as an outsider. And here's the irony. 
inferior to Peter because Peter is a Jew who's a Christian, which puts him on a higher level, right? He's like a blue blood Christian. Even though Cornelius was blue blood socially, He says this in verses 27 through 29, Peter continues, and as he talked with him, the Bible says, he went in and found many persons gathering. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And then in verses 34 through 36, if we jump down a little bit. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he preaches. Peter is basically telling him and Cornelius and all those Gentiles present gathered that God shows no favoritism and it challenges everything. Remember Cornelius bows because he says, here's like this real Jew here. I'm just, you know, like second class being a God-fearer. I'm not really a son of Abraham ethnically. And Peter comes along and says, God shows no favoritism. In the dream vision, God sends Peter, telling him that he is not calling people righteous or his according according to the Jewish ceremony and cultural laws. He is saying, Peter, you are no better, and the Gentiles who believe in me are no lower. See, it corrected not only how they saw each other, but being in eclectic community cleared and cleaned up some prejudices and misconceptions they had about themselves in the eyes of God. There's some advantages of being here and working through and living in a danger of this kind of community. You know one of the most awesome things about being a pastor of an eclectic church? Having been in the lives of our people as an African-American man raised in the South, you know what I've learned? This is freeing. White people ain't no better. Y'all ain't no better. I know now. I pastor a lot of them, right? White people, I mean, and you're gonna think a fairly segregated South, right? Now that I'm like pastoring and caring and, and coming into homes and hearing problems and counseling, man, Rich people even got some serious issues. Sin and deprivation and abuses don't respect zip codes and tax brackets. I used to think because people had more or looked a certain way or accepted in a certain way and seemed to run everything right that they had it all together or better than others in this country kind of complex, right? That, that has been alleviated by living with a diverse community and praying for and with and hearing stories You know, it's ironic because when I turn on the news, 
seem like we always in trouble, right? We need Jesus, but boy, I just realized other nations need him too real bad. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have on your wall. It doesn't matter how many cars or houses or trust funds or it doesn't matter how many doors are open for you. It doesn't matter whether white privilege is there or it just doesn't matter. Sin, apart from Christ, has got you. Being an eclectic, diverse community works to remove and clean our misconceptions even about ourselves, right? If you thought you were inferior or if you thought you were better, welcome to the gospel-driven revolution. You will soon learn you are not any worse or any better than anybody else. Don't you realize that is the work of God? Let me see if I'm going to talk about this in a minute. I want to make sure. Yeah. Let me say this. According to what happened in Acts, Peter is learning that his culture, his sense of identity and rightness was not what made him righteous. And with it, his understanding and knowledge of God that it was not correct. It was, the Judaism was not pure. It had to be changed by Christ. Much of what made him and distinguished him as a Hebraic Jew had to go to the side. Where you find your sense of identity and worth and culture in a collective community challenged with the gospel, it may be found sinful. What you valued could be found sinful, living and wrong and incomplete in the way you hold it and handle it and think about it in the way it gives you comfort that only Christ should. Let me say what this moment between Peter and Cornelius means for us. God may be calling you to repent for your prejudice and racism and classism and sexism and, or your sense of identity to have your eyes open to a right vision of God and his created humanity and his holiness among people to see yourself for the first time as oppressive and ignorant or oppressed and ignored, right? And you can't get that in every community. In eclectic gospel community, God starts a civil rights revolution unlike any other because it calls and because of grace, it gives power and freedom for people to repent. We have a place where we can own our brokenness and pain and hurt and hold others accountable for how they live and what they say to make us, yes, be sensitive. And it does not allow us to stay in sinful and evil small-mindedness. It calls us to see the darkness in our politics and our social lives and ourselves. And get this, the error in our theology to have the gospel, God at work in your life and in your story of someone different than you, God opens your eyes to the fact that he shows no favoritism, that he is not giving your, giving your sense of identity or culture or race or ethnicity any higher place or lower place, but to have all called to account to each other and to him. So only two years old. Get ready. Because if God is in the middle of that kind of gospel transformation, 
in this church community, conviction and challenge and confession and confrontation is part of the process of God's sanctification of you and empowering your mission and widening and opening the doorways for more people to come in. We have this pejorative thing, this kind of jokey little thing we say at Christ Central, right? When people join, we tell them we believe in the cage match at Christ Central. Y'all know what a cage match is? Y'all from North Carolina don't know what a cage match is? And wrestling, as y'all call it, wrestling? My granddaddy loves some wrestling, you hear me? He could watch wrestling all day long on Saturday. Cage match, cage around the ring, means you can't get out. We believed in cage match at Christ Central. And I tell our members, you ready? Because if you enter into a eclectic community, we are gonna get into some discussions that are gonna make and make you feel like your brother and sister is your enemy for a minute. We have gotten into some political discussions. We've got into some gender role discussions. We've got into some ethnic discussions within ethnic groups and outside of ethnic groups. And my thing is, you can't tap out. And the rules are, you have to play by the rules of grace. So you have to listen and understand and hear, and, but you cannot tap out. You have to fight in Jesus' name. I know what this means. What is dangerous and uncomfortable and challenging will get, be careful with this, get bloody and messing, messy and confusing and complicated. And I've seen it. It may go more rounds than you expect over silly stuff. Do we have to sing it so many times? Didn't we get what the song was about? Why do we have to keep going back over and over and over again? That's too loud. That's too black. That's too white. That's too whatever. I mean, it's amazing how our cultures show up and we gotta deal with it. And you know what? People feel it. You sense it. And sometimes people just feel it and sense something connecting, something right here. We go with the something ain't right here. We take that as a valid thing and we go after it. That's stupid, y'all, but we are gospel believers, right? Something just don't feel right. Oh man, just be quiet. We just want the church to grow. We need grace for that kind of confrontation, right? We need grace. Peter was sent to Cornelius to an uncomfortable, dangerous situation. 
let me go back and say this. One of the most important discussions I had in the Life of Christ Central Speaking a Cage match was with the associate pastor Giorgio Hyatt. And um, I remember it was on the front porch of my house. And uh, he was like, man, I just don't, what's, what's going on with us? I don't feel right. I said, look, man, I got to tell you something. Because Georgia was in uptown, at Uptown, and it was like um, he was part of finding me and bringing me there, even though I was a senior pastor. He, he was really instrumental, and we co-planted the church, and, you know. And I said, you know what I'm feeling? You don't really love me or respect me. You just want to use me as the black man in the cog of your vision. He said, you might be right, brother. I'm sorry. We had to talk through that thing. That was hard for him because he feel, felt like he was doing the right thing in his heart. I felt like I was doing the right thing. And I just had to be honest enough to share that. I will not be a token. I will not be a cog in the wheel. And let me tell you the risk. The whole thing could have blown up. That was like year two. The whole thing could have blown up and the ministry could have stopped right there. I realized that I didn't do it so as much to confront him, but I had to be honest about what God had put in my heart and what I was feeling. Right? I, I had to... I had to take, had to take a faith step to let my mouth open and say this for his sake and my sake and the sake of how the blueprint, the DNA of our church was going to be. But like I said, that kind of stuff, and, and I'm not taking credit for it. God did something, y'all. The grace of the Lord worked. Like when Peter preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit gave them power and grace to do what they needed to do. So Peter preaches the gospel through verses 37 and 43. And then the Bible tells us, like I said, that the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and the other Gentiles there who heard and believed. And the sign of the Holy Spirit coming, evidenced by their speaking in other tongues, meant this, that for the broken relationship between Gentile and God, God has sent grace through Jesus to make them right too. But with that, the division, the, the, the chasm, the, the separation between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile, between Peter and Cornelius is reconciled and being reconciled by Jesus through the gospel, through the work of God's grace in the lives of his people. So be encouraged. Because that means you and I are free and called to come and go into each other's lives, into each other's cultures and homes and families, and we feel uncomfortable and in danger and dangerous in believing that if the gospel, the, the power of God through faith in Jesus, the same message of salvation and change is at work, then the risk is not only worth it, it is rewarding and revolutionarily redeeming to our souls. And the souls of human beings we ask to come into community with us. 
you can go out to an impossible world, y'all. No one is off limits to the gospel by your words, regardless of how removed you are from them or their culture. Because we serve a God who used Peter to talk to Cornelius and used Cornelius to talk to Peter. You can impact Durham. Anybody in Durham with the gospel. It will be dangerous. It will be uncomfortable. But if it's the gospel we're bringing, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. It's gonna change you. Remember now, it's gonna change you and them. And there'll be only one person receiving the glory. We'll look back and say, look what Jesus did. Jesus, God calls us through Jesus to turn danger into security and fear into friendship and sinful misconceptions into forgiveness and repentance, hate into love, and you and me and those who come into an eclectic community of a New South revolution. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Help us realize that it's by grace we're saved, by faith, and that is not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. We need the gift of grace. We need the gift of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to come. Come with power and authority to change stubborn hearts and push us into dangerous places ethnically and socially. But Lord, we know that the end goal is that you would see, receive the glory and the honor for being the Lord. And we praise you for that. Continue to give us hearts of worship today, Lord. Let our hearts not be set on solutions, but on you. Please, Lord, help our hearts not jump to works, but help us to rely on your grace. Help us not go with our own intellect, but Lord, call us to rely on and speak a very foolish gospel, sounding gospel, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us that we are sinners and he is the savior and lover of sinners like us. Help us to rely on that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.